Hi, Kyle. Hi, Jer. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Draw Without Dying. It's the podcast for uh, artists who struggle. I'm Jer. I'm a software engineer. I've been making comics since I was seven. And I'm Kyle. I'm a writer and artist with the flair for the melancholy. And I am Kimmy, an artist who struggles. (laughs) 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 Who is currently running a Kickstarter. (laughs) Yay! Hello, Kimmy. To those of you who don't know, Kimmy's a big fan of... Big, big fan, big friend. Big friend. Friend I, I meant to say friend. You're, you're a fan of us, I yeah. hope. I'm a fan of her. Yes, Kimmy is uh, an artist we both know who is doing a comic that I should probably let you talk about instead of introducing you for yeah, you. Yeah, who are you? Yeah, what do you do? Um, gosh, so my comic is called Witch of Dezina. It's a fantasy comic. It's basically about this empire that's set in vaguely industrialization period. They lose one of their goddesses that they had used to industrialize their country with, and she was the communication god. So they basically built telephones around her, and without her, they can't do that anymore. So it sucks. So they're going to try to find her. They, this one guy, uh, sorry, this is like the worst pitch I've ever given for the comic. (laughs) No, don't worry about it. You're good. You're great. So yeah, Tabor is basically a bureaucrat who accidentally volunteers to go look for the goddess. So he's running an investigation right now. And in the midst of all of that, he ends up running into a witch who illegally broke into their dimension from Earth. So she kind of gets arrested and gang-pressed into helping them because they thought, you know, having a witch around might be useful for what we're doing. I got plans for it. I've been running this comic for uh, too long. Like, (laughs) I get kind of freaked out whenever I think about how many years I've been doing this for. But the pandemic definitely didn't help with that. <laughs> yeah, I think I started it, like, around 2016. But it didn't really start going, I think, until maybe 2017. So I've got, like, three chapters under my belt now. And I'm getting ready to... Well, I'm trying to print them, you know? So <laughs> that's going to all go into one book. And I'm pretty excited for that. Because that was always sort of my goal. Like, I... Having a webcomic was important to me, but printing it is also important to me. Because this might be kind of a weird uh, take, but I think that webcomics are more ephemeral than we realize. Oh, I could talk about this. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's just I've been in webcomics long enough now that there are comics that I was a big fan of. And I feel like, oh, it was just yesterday I was reading Magical Girl Neil. And then, like, my browser still remembers the URL and will autocomplete it. And when I hit enter, it's like, this website doesn't exist anymore. And it's scary. Yeah. I have absolutely had, like, yeah, it is the biggest struggle of, of being an indie comics fan is is finding a thing and loving it and then it either you can't get more of it because they stopped or you can't find it again because they they their website vanished or you find out that like 16 years later they're redrawing <laughs> chapter 1 and rather than making chapter 2 or just all kinds of shenanigans of like well where do I I love it what how how I love you how how I want to like the th- what mm. Yes, this is a real thing. A bit of a trouble because I've just been doing book reviews. At, le- at least on one occasion, they simply haven't had like a link anywhere where you can just buy oh. the comic now. It was just there for the Kickstarter. When I was uh, setting up, because I have the book review I'm going to do for today, exactly that, where I, I had one that I wanted, to, I really wanted to do, and I looked at it and they had super nothing. 
they had the Kickstarter, and it's like, and like there were five creators involved in it, and uh, they just nothing. And, and it was like the Kickstarter was the only thing on the internet about it at all. And I was like, well, that sucks because this is a really good one. Yeah. No, that's that's yeah. No, that's definitely a thing. There have been anthologies that I jumped on at the last minute. And then I'm talking to my friends and I'm like, oh, hey, I think you'd like this book. And they're like, where can I buy it? And it's like, ooh, you, you can't. can't. But before we get too off the rails here, we have a particular topic today, which I believe was sort of talking about the gap between conception and execution or like getting getting what you make to match what you imagined it yeah. to be. And this is something that we've talked about briefly. We had an entire episode about it already. But you know what? Kimmy's here now, so we can talk about it again. Yeah, and I... I hopefully have new stuff to bring to it. I don't know. Sorry. I <laughs> uh, truly do not worry. <laughs> so do you guys want to start? I, I can say what I... Uh, uh, sure. There's a, there's like one little housekeeping thing that I want to keep go, don't want to finish up on uh, before we get into topic proper is that, uh, yeah, we're streaming this live at twitch.tv slash ironoki. And do you want to join the conversation? Hi, Shiny Zubats. Hi, Squirrel Horde. And uh, any other regulars that are hanging out. And we are drawing while we do this. Kimmy, what are you drawing tonight? I am working on a uh, page of Witch of Dezina. Uh, I'm working on fan art for Witch of Dezina because I said I'd finish this a month ago and then didn't. <laughs> tonight, I am just doing a sketchbook night. So I've got my my book of like my, my Japanese book of like action poses and I'm just kind of like doodling out of there because I don't really want to think. I want to focus more on conversation than drawing anyway. So it's just, just a doodle night for me tonight. Yeah. And with that... I guess I could. I can. I, uh, yeah, go ahead. All right, who wants to? Who? Yeah, either you. I want to start. Well, I can. Okay, go. Can I'm taking the conversation. <laughs> Let's go. So one of the reasons I was thinking about this is because I was talking to another comic friend over in another Discord, and they had said something really interesting to me at one point because I think we were talking about um, like pages that you have planned or scenes that you have planned. And I think I was saying something like, oh, man, my comic up so far has been so bleh. I'm not super satisfied with it, but it's going to be so great in the future. Like, I've got so much great mm. stuff planned. And she pointed out that the stuff you have in your head is always going to feel better than the stuff that you are making. Because when it's in your head, it's still allowed to be perfect. But once yes. you make it, then all the imperfections start creeping in. And and sometimes they're completely unavoidable. Like sometimes like I'll look at my writing and I'll realize, oh, I have two different like maybe arcs or character arcs or two completely different scenes that I wanted to do and I just can't do both of them because they're contradictory and I'm like okay how am I going to deal with this when it's in my head and it's all very ephemeral and not really grounded in reality yet it's like oh man that scene's going to be so epic and I can picture everything with the correct amount of build up and payoff and emotional like satisfaction but then when you go to actually like execute on it as a story sometimes it's just like you feel a little bit awkward you're kind of shuffling around you're like Look over here, guys! It's the thing! And, <laughs> and I'm not saying it's always like that, but like sometimes it feels like that, and you're like, oh, this this feels a lot more flat on the comic page than it did in my head. In my head, it was like an epic opera, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
it's it's interesting that you go in the the writing department because I've been pretty successful with getting the narratives that I want to tell down. But art style wise, but like I'm in a completely different like visual genre than than like what I what I create is different from what I what I imagine. I would say that in my head, my art looks like Mary Cagle. Uh, or Cube Watermelon, Kiwi Blitz, Sleepless Domain, and and Let's Speak English. Uh, that her like super colorful, super soft, really cartoony. That's what my characters look like in my brain. But instead, I ch- switched gears from digital art entirely and went into like my ink, whatever it is that I do. And I'm really proud of what I'm capable of and what I do. And and I really like I think like my favorite thing that I that I f- discovered that I'm capable of is like those the the background like the the um the leafy patterns that I can do. I really love what 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 I actually make, but it super doesn't match what the way that it looks in my head. And in my case, that's sort of how I measure my progress as a uh, and my growth is because I'm always trying to move it a step closer to what's in my head. Yeah. I, I, I'd i say I've almost achieved that in, in the most recent pages of OTL. I'm not quite there, but... Uh, and- I, I remember there was one moment, Kyle, for you where like I'm looking at your copy of D. Gray Man and, and I'm looking at it, and it's like, wow, this, I totally see where, like, your art for, for, of uh, this, like, comes from. And you were like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely, like, have certain line work in my head that I'm trying to match that I'm not quite there yet. But my characters look how they look in my head for the most part at this yeah. point. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to art, things more or less turn out the way they are in my head although I would say that in my head it's just kind of like I don't want to say a low budget anime but <laughs> it's it's not a high budget anime it's just kind of like it's what I grew up watching kind of thing listen that that is in fact an aesthetic yeah yeah it is almost in a way with my artwork I don't have no I don't want to say I don't have super high standards but like I feel like there are some things that I get self-conscious about in my art but it isn't like the illustrative part it's like the communication part in the tone so actually for example uh one of the things that i was talking to some people about recently is that i tend to draw my characters kind of goofy a lot yeah 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 i well i think like you're capable of shifting gears because you'll have like serious mode and then you'll have like i wouldn't say super deformed mode but like like whimsical mode you know and i think like when i'm reading witch of Dezina, i'm seeing like that sets the mood right because oh god that is a monster and it's trying to kill us you go into serious mode and then oh hey we just we just processed some dank shit i'm gonna put a flower on my head like a witch hat and it looks all cute and 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 fun and like it it like you're able to use that really well as a tool to to just set mood for where you are in the story yeah and it's um it's interesting because i don't always like plan for that in my script so like I'm almost kind of like I I should probably uh show my script to my my blah my my chapter four script to to Kyle because he's read my chapter two slash three script so far and I'm curious for the people who have read my script versus people who have read the comic if it feels different and like how does it feel different because to me they feel like different stories sometimes 
there's a current, there's a scene that I drew recently, actually, I'll just like uh, open it up here and clip. So there's this scene in the current chapter where they've entered into the library and one of the characters closes the door behind them. So the door is shut and it suddenly becomes very dark. And part of it is just that like Ellie's eyes haven't adjusted to the darkness yet. But part of it is that the other characters, a lot of them have superior night vision compared to her. That some of them have magic eyes. And so she doesn't. So she's kind of fumbling around in the dark. And the interesting thing was reading the script I had written. I had written it more in like a prose format. And not, not saying it was like pretty or anything. It's just that that's how I chose to get my ideas down. The text was probably something like the door shuts and Ellie realizes just how dark it is. You know, she can't see anything, but there's shadowy figures of people moving up ahead of her and she tries to move to keep up, right? And when you read that, it kind of evokes this feeling of anxiety of like, whoa, I'm in the dark. This is kind of scary, but there's nothing like out to get me yet. So maybe this will be okay. It's kind of exciting. But when I drew it, I drew her like in the darkness, just waving her arms around like, oh my God, I can't see anything. And it came off as very comedic. There was like definitely a tonal shift here. And I was really racking my brain about it for like a couple weeks, actually, because I was trying to figure out how do I capture what I wrote in the script in the comic? And I was able to do okay. I had to kind of revise some of the panels that I planned. But one of the things I did was is I drew a panel of her hands to kind of put you back in her POV of her looking at her hands and her thinking, wow, I can barely see my own hands. And then for the other characters, I drew them with this really kind of big chop black brush. So they are not getting any detail work at all. They're like really choppy silhouettes and you can sort of tell who people are, but it's actually a little difficult. And they kind of blend in with the background a little bit. Not too much because that would be really bad to print that way, but like you get the picture, right? And so I was able to sort of look back at my script and realize what the gap was between what I planned and what I drew. This was kind of during the thumbnailing stage. But to some extent, it was inevitable that there was going to be this, um, what do you call it, uh, separation. Because I realized that one of the things that's inherent to the prose genre or the prose medium is that you're in a POV. You're reading things and they're telling you what you're feeling. They're telling you what you're experiencing. And so you're imagining it and you're imagining what it would feel like to be in that position. Whereas in the comic, you are an observer. You're a fly on the wall who's watching these people. And so if you were in a dark room and you couldn't see anything and you're fumbling around, that's kind of scary. But let's pretend that you are an invisible person wearing night vision goggles and you can see someone fumbling around in the dark. Well, that's funny because you're like, ha, huh, look at that idiot. He can't see. Doesn't he know his keys are on the table over there? And so just having that POV shift, I think, inherently changed how the scene came across. And I just had to accept it. Part of what you're talking about is like the shift in medium where you... you you have the, the, the brain version of it first, and then you make the prose version of it, and then you make the comic version of it. Each of those three, obviously, you know, the brain is perfect, as we, as we all know. Like, I, my, my brain inside of it 
is perfect because I'm amazing. I'm the best. I'm me. But, you know, as we pull stuff out of our brain into the flawed and awful real world, <laughs> like it's going to shift forms. And and like kind of like where I'm saying with like I shifted mediums, you're shifting like, yeah, like like entire mediums from like like the yeah. the the, the pro, prose writing to um you go ahead i oh uh it's interesting to me that you mentioned the sort of unintentional humor that kind of comes across uh because i've actually like i had to go through a whole character arc about that myself because uh you know i i, I otl of the slight is a horror comic and mostly it's meant to take itself seriously but one way or another, several panels happened that just kind of came out a little goofy to some people. Um, and I kind of had to... But there's there's one in particular in Chapter 3 where, like, the main character's just been stabbed and the person who stabbed him comes up behind him with, like, a half-destroyed face going, I saved you, to someone he absolutely didn't save. And it's uh, it was, you know, kind of meant to be an intense moment, but it did just come off kind of goofy. Uh, and at first when people were saying, oh, this is kind of funny, I'm like, I wasn't going for that. But then I'm like, you know what? It is kind of goofy. I'm just going to lean into it, especially, you know, it's such a dark series that, yeah, fine, fine chuckles. In the-, the scene I immediately thought of that was not supposed to be funny, but was funny, was the one where I think Cass or I think it's Cass is like standing on a bridge or something and he sees this angel just flying across the sky like in the distance going and then he sees Gabriel chasing (laughs) it in on the ground and he's like god damn it and I just laughed so hard because it's like you can just see the motion where everything is calm and then you just see this angel like flying like a jet through the city and it's like it's going somewhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Oh, uh, and yeah, I think I think that was one of the earlier moments where I like, oh, oh, that wasn't supposed it. to be funny, but I got used, yeah. I got used to well, it. <laughs> and that's that also kind of is part of like what I'm thinking about too, which is that in a way, sometimes doing a comic, a web comic specifically, is sort of like doing a play that you didn't have a chance to rehearse, because people are seeing the page that you make and it's very likely the first and final draft it's not very often that people like heavily revise their pages before posting like it's possible that maybe they sit on it and then they check it later and they find a typo and they fix it but it's like yeah that's or several after you print the comics but yeah it's typically like the first and final draft of that thing and i think that web comics are actually really kind of unique in that way because a lot of other mediums it's like well you're going to practice you're going to practice and you're going to write drafts you're going to write gonna a draft and, and then you're going to iterate and iterate and iterate and then you're going to iterate some more and then it's a novel maybe yeah and i mean that's i think that's valid it makes sense to me but also the comic the web comic method also makes sense to me but yeah part of what we do is like okay i'm putting this thing out there and you don't really know how people are going to react to it you can have some guesses right but you know like i said even going from the script to the actual comic page sometimes you introduce new things that weren't there in the script and um, you just kind of have to accept that it's taking on a life of its own and becoming something different. And, um, yeah. So uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but uh, earlier today I was talking to potential future guests on the show. And uh, one of them is a writer for a video game. 
and they were talking. Actually, we were we were just kind of like getting a, getting a sense of what it, what a what an interview would go like, and they were talking about how like they were a prose writer, and then they wrote for a video game, and like okay, this is a completely different medium. And then after they were into it and like started getting like the what the structure and the limitations were, they're like, you know what? I really wish I had practiced script writing before this, because it's yeah, it's like. Hey, wait! No, this is this is actually this other medium. It's got different strengths and weaknesses. There's definitely, I mean, like like you mentioned, I think one of my earliest like realizations about comics was that like because I came into it from prose as well, uh, but like I started off thinking I'd do novels and wrote a couple of novels and blah blah blah, and then suddenly, oops, all all comics. But that lack of of revision was both very terrifying and very freeing because. I'll be honest, I hate revision just so, so much. And comics kind of take away your ability to I revise. I wouldn't say that because I wrote the indies and then spent a year preparing it for print. So I absolutely went through an editing editing phase on that. There, There is editing, but you can't, if you just start remaking pages willy-nilly, the project won't get done. Um, as opposed to a novel, which the, if you start with 100,000 words in a novel, chances are by the time it's actually published, it's a completely different 60,000 words. <laughs> uh, you don't just cut an entire comic page. I don't think e- and any of us would just straight up, oh, I drew a thing. It's gone now. <laughs> Do you know what this kind of reminds me of is like we started this conversation where like y- you you came in, Kimmy, with talking about how like the story doesn't match what you, the story you wrote doesn't match the story that's in your head, and I kind of kind of with like yeah, for me it's it's more the visual like the, the the pictures don't look like like the pictures in my head, and like we're comic artists, all three of us, and that's a medium that mixes like the visual and and the and the narrative is as like there's these two things that you you smoosh together to create a finished a finished product. That for a lot, like for more, for bigger, more intense, more quote unquote professional comics, you get like a team exactly like that person did, where it's like you write it and then you write for an artist and that artist brings what the artist brings. And, and like Kyle and I did a whole episode about collaborating where everyone that's contributing to it is bringing what they, what they have to bring to the, to the finished piece. So that's kind of an unfortunate disconnect where the writer and the artist aren't really connecting on what the writer as the as the primary creator like actually wanted to create. That's a bummer. And it's also interesting that where you know Kimmy went to the story and Jer went to the art as the things they have difficulty reaching. For me, there's like it's a little bit of both. And I find that kind of interesting for me because uh one of my big worries with Anachronistic, the season one of Anachronistic, was that the prose and the wordplay would not match up to what I wanted it to be, um, which it's kind of a hard thing to visualize what words are going to sound like. But I like I, I had specific thoughts. I'm like, I want my words to feel like that. And I do feel like I achieved it, but it was yeah. hard. <laughs> We talked about writing and comics and art. There is like this intersection, right? That is comics where it's like, sometimes I get stressed about like my panel layouts. And you guys have probably heard me stress about this because it's like a perennial thing for me. Um, (laughs) 
yeah, one of the things I tend to think about is, I guess, my camera angles a lot. And it's it's really interesting because this is very much like like a comic artist style. And I'm actually super intrigued by this because you can tell like a hundred different artists to draw a page from a script and they're all going to do it differently. And whenever I do actually get the opportunity to see those sorts of comparisons, I love seeing like how they chose to represent things. Like how did they zoom in? What angle did they use? You know, how did they increase the drama? I don't think that you can really go super wrong actually. And so again, with me, this is more like a how can I become more aware of my paneling decisions in order to better communicate how my story feels in my head? And, you know, the tough thing is I tend to use a lot of kind of just not quite, you know, I use head-on shots, you know, the three-quarter angles. I use a lot of medium shots. I don't really do a lot of close-ups. I don't really do a lot of camera pointing up, camera pointing down kind of thing. And I mean, part of the reason is because it's fucking hard to draw that shit. Like, have have you ever tried drawing your character where the camera is, like, slightly below their chin or something, and you're just like, ugh, kill me, you know? (laughs) Like, looking up their nose or something. Yeah, (laughs) what this reminds me of is, uh, you know, uh, I've got a couple of friends that are aspiring comic artists or getting into it, and kind of what you're describing is that that tools in a toolbox thing that I always say, which is like, you've got the tools in your artistic toolbox that you're very comfortable with. Uh, but, and and all three of us have been drawing comics for a good long time. So we've got a good number of tools, but there's also the tools that we know how to use, but they're, they we're, they we're still a little bit cumbersome with them, right? And so like what you're describing is, man, there are, camera angle tools that you know about and you're capable of executing but you don't wanna because you got a page to finish and it's easier or quicker or you know it just just good enough to just do this one but you know that tool is there one of the reasons why i like digging into manga so much is that it feels like every mangaka above a certain level of veterancy has a superpower and so when i'm trying to solve a certain problem with a particular Right now, I'm really focused on panel layout, and like I really want the squares my pictures are in to be in the most interesting way possible. Part of that is because I've got really into Chainsaw Man, and that is Chainsaw Man author Tatsuki Fujimoto's superpower. He can make those squares r- that contain art l- very Actually, interesting. just looking at some of the manga that you were showing me the other day, Kyle, gave me some ideas, so... I just pulled up my previous page where Ellie's looking at her hands. The tips of her fingers actually go outside of the shape of the panel that they're in. Sorry, just really subtle stuff. I actually noticed that. It makes it so much more dynamic. Yeah, and it's like I noticed that sometimes manga will do some really cool and dynamic things like that. It's really funny because I... You know, used to read more manga when I was a teenager, and I had actually attempted to make a comic when I was a teenager. I forget about this sometimes. I actually made, like, 18 pages of this Pokemon fan comic. (laughs) You too, huh? (laughs) And I look back on it, and it's really interesting to see what I was picking up on and what I wasn't getting. 
And, you know, one thing is that I wasn't fully really understanding um, gutters. Like, sometimes I wouldn't use gutters. I would just draw pictures next to each other and let people figure out, oh, this is this thing happened after this thing kind of thing. But I was definitely feeling ambitious. And I would do things like, oh, time to introduce the character. I'm going to do a full body drawing of her that takes up the entire, like, height of the page and then have panels behind her kind of thing. And the problem was I was so ambitious and was doing different panel layouts on every single page that I burned out. And I just like, oh, oh, and and guess what else I did? I started redrawing my old pages. I totally forgot about that, too. I was just flipping through the sketchbook. And I'm like, oh, yeah, here, here's pages 1 through 18, and I keep flipping through, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, this is page 1 again, and page 2, and page 3. Oh, my God, I started redrawing my page. <laughs> On the note of uh, what's in your head matching what's in your, or what you make topic thing, reeling us back a little bit, something about uh, your connection with your art style, Jer, that I kind of identify with is how I handle paintings. And I probably would have mentioned this on our last episode, but I am curious if, like, Kimmy has any thoughts on it in that as far as paintings are concerned, as a consumer, I really like the old-timey portraits, uh, old master's technique, lots, and I, I know how to do that. It requires thousands of layers of very thinly applied paint, and it's really cool looking, and I just cannot I, I know I know the textbook of how to do all of it. I studied it really hard, but when I sat down to try, it just was so antithetical to how my brain handles making art. But what I can do as far as painting is concerned is impressionism, and I'd consider myself very good and talented at that. And if I were to go on into painting, I would be doing impressionism, not necessarily matching what's in my yeah. head. Do you have anything like that in, in your sort of artistic pursuits or even, I, I like, I, I can only assume this would apply yeah. to logistical I mean, things I as think well. But. What I do experience is probably something that you've heard people joke about on the internet before, which is that every time you see a cool art style, you're like, I want to draw like that. But then what happens is, is that the multiple art styles that you hold in your head are like incompatible with each other. And yeah. it's like, I... I kind of find myself uh, at this, what do you call it, almost like a crossroads where in order to go down any given path, I'd have to specialize, right? I'd have to say, okay, like, uh, for example, there's a particular style of art that I like that actually doesn't do a whole lot of shading. It's like really detailed line work and a lot of flat colors. And what I've noticed in some of these works is that they will... um, kind of compensate for the lack of shading by doing more detailed coloring. So there tends to be more color variation, but if you pay attention, you realize that they're not going through and like cell shading everything. I really like how that comes off. It can be, uh, what do they call it? It has a graphic quality to it sometimes. Like it doesn't feel realistic, but it's not really trying to be realistic. I also kind of like art where characters get little like noodle arms and they get these big bobble heads and kind of gets into like an Adventure Time sort of style. I wouldn't draw like actual Adventure Time because I don't like doing beady eyes. I like doing like big expressive eyes. But you know, something kind of along those lines because I think what I like doing is I like doing... um, a lot of shape language where it's like, oh, I'm going to exaggerate this character's proportions. I'm going to exaggerate this facial feature. I'm going to exaggerate how this clothing fits on this character. So that really like calls to me. But then at the same time, I also like 
you know, working on trying to get anatomy more accurate because I also find that very satisfying when I'm able to capture more anatomical details, when I'm able to draw a really good hand, when I'm able to get the shading just right and it adds this kind of volumetric depth to the figure. So like, I just have a lot of avenues that I want to go down and sometimes I feel like I end up like just kind of meandering around in like... I, I've been told that my art in the comic does get better over time. Like, someone said, every 30 pages your art gets better, and I go, oh, cool. I can't tell. I'll take your word for it. Um, oh, that's actually uh, why I like how I've printed my books, is because I can tell the difference from chapter to chapter, even though they were all, you know, made in sequence for the most part. I guess I've, like, you know, having changed styles and and added things to my style like enough times that I feel like there's there's nothing that's inaccessible. There's nothing I feel like I can't achieve. And and when I look at something that I want to to draw or create, I can look at it as an amount of time or an amount of effort. Uh, recently picked up Blender. Uh, well, I think uh, Kyle, you sent me a meme which was just like. Uh, every every artist's uh, version of I should work out is I should learn Blender. Uh, yeah, I, I dove in on Blender, and I've got an amazing community of folks right over there that are like very enthusiastic about learning Blender. Um, yeah, and I picked it up and was able to do the, the, the Vipo thing. Um, there are things that are f- closer and farther on that list. And I think there are things that, like, are much easier to incorporate into the way that I make art. And then there are other things that are like, wow, I would love to do that, but it doesn't add to anything I'm already doing. I said at the beginning that, like, the way that things look in my brain is very much Mary Cagle style. So a digital art, crisp lines, like, bold colors, cartoony and whimsical, and and just kind of, like, uh, that that... Like somewhere between uh, indie and, and anime sort of like expressionism and and kind of like a, a cuteness to it, right? Um, I don't think that's what I draw. I think what I draw is a very like like line art, like ink texture, uh, something definitely some anime and manga influences, but also a lot of American newspaper comics are like hu- a huge influence to me. And I think because I grew up on those you know those newspaper comics like those were the visual the visual language that I learned first and I started with digital and then just got my you know a pencil or a pen on paper like even when I was doing digital I had to start like with a sketchbook first and switching to to ink on paper was kind of a a, a removing of a step to getting a piece of art done where it's like oh I don't need it to go into the computer I can just do it all on paper and then on added on top of that, that my career is one where I stare at a monitor all day. It's like it gave me something where it's like my hobby is now something that's not on a monitor. I can look at a piece of paper, a physical like thing in front of me and 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 not look at a glowing screen. And it gave me like this other thing on top of it where like uh, it just feels good to look at my pen on a paper. Um, So I know how to incorporate uh, a Mary Cagle style of my comics, how to translate all of my characters and the way that I make a comic page into that that like that cartoony, cute, uh, you know, colorful digital art style. It's not a it 
doesn't fit in my toolbox right now. My toolbox is full of physical media tools. And so it's easier to see something like uh, Vizoth Kakve, who does the, the, the plant texture illustrations, and say, oh, I wonder if I can do that. And then, then it turns out it can. And now to my comic pages, I'm adding like these really cool mosaic-y plant shapes and stuff. And that tool fit in my toolbox a lot easier. I have a notion on how to wrap this conversation up. Do you have anything else you, you wanted to add, Kimmy, before we do? Oh, I did actually have one thing. Really brief thing, I guess. Um, calling back to that previous page I was talking about where Ellie's in the dark, right? And I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to show that she can't see anything while still kind of simulating the feeling that you, the reader, can't see anything? Which I couldn't just make the panels all black, right? Because that would have been really silly to like just be like, haha, not drawing this. Everything's black. Um, Funny thing. Friend of mine who just recently printed uh, her book uh, did three pages of absolute black and is one of the most tense and emotional things ever. <laughs> but go on. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure that it makes sense in that context. In this context, it didn't quite. But um, what I ended up kind of stumbling upon was like, oh, I like the idea of taking a... Um, you know, a, a brush tool that's really chunky and just kind of scribbling in Ellie's color in a really messy way. So she isn't being neatly colored with a fill bucket right now. She's being kind of scribbled in. And then I took an eraser tool and I kind of scratched away some of it to make it look really like staticky because I feel like that's what I see things as when I'm in a low light situation is that like I can't even see people's faces. It just kind of gets like static and I thought yeah that kind of simulates the feeling of not being able to see very well and that was just kind of an idea that just like randomly came to me while I was working on the page and so it's like when I say that there's the gap between imagination and execution it's not in a negative way because sometimes things turn out better than you expected and you're like oh I hadn't even imagined that and for some reason, I was able to just kind of pull it together at the last minute, and there it goes. But it's also one of those things where sometimes um, great things are born from constraints, because part of the reason that I chose to do that was because I didn't want to fucking color her. Uh, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your podcast. You, you, you are okay. allowed to swear on this podcast. Okay. But yeah, I didn't want to color her. I was like, dude, I'm so tired of grabbing the fill bucket and getting everybody's colors spotted in. And I just thought, like, I wasn't going to do that for the other characters. So I'm like, I'm not doing it for Ellie either. She's gray. Her whole body is gray. Blah. <laughs> that actually leads perfectly into what I was going to, like, the last question I was going to ask and, and kind of go around the table is, um, yeah, we, we struggle with, like, what's in our head versus what we draw when for for each of us when is it really like when have we nailed it when have when is what we created just really actually felt like what was in our head i can answer this one yeah go um the scene with the mega panther actually went exactly the way i had it in my head nice the valentine's day episode of anachronistic is one of the best pieces of prose I've ever written and accomplishes exactly that hard to explain Holy prose thing shit, I was trying to describe that earlier. Fucking, like, okay, that settled an argument. 
Because I fucking hate Valentine's Day, <laughs> and it was really hard for me to hear why you liked Valentine's Day. That episode made it click. I get it. I uh, super get it. That was an excellent episode of 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 writing and good podcastiness. What about you, Jer? For me, you know what it is? It's like, okay, it's one of the hardest things that I have to do. And Kyle, I, 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 you both have been through this now. Um, covers. The covers of my books, like, they are the most stressful thing, but they are just the, I'm going to pull everything into, you know, into a piece and, and just do, do, do it all at once. And, 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 and so like the cover of the Indies is that's the guys, that's the gang. Uh, the cover of Overjoyed, that's the characters. That's they're how they feel. That's exactly how they look in my head. And you know, interestingly, like um, the Indies wasn't in color, but but the uh, but Overjoyed was. And it's just like th- when I get the cover, and when I get the, when I put the work and the time and effort and everything that I'm capable of all together into that cover, that's when it's exactly what it looks like in my. head. Uh, I'm all set to do the comic shop. You wanna you wanna do the thing? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Today is July sixth, two thousand twenty-three. I'm Jer. Kyle is here, and also our friend Kimmy. Hey guys. And we're gonna we're gonna look at some comics that are on Kickstarter right now. And the first one that I've got is called The Loaf. The Loaf is by yeah. The Loaf is by Scott Mallon and Ryan Little. I'm going to I. <laughs> I'm going I'm going to just I'm going to read what they have written about it. Charlie is a middle schooler who is sick of moving around and tired of trying to make new friends. A diehard baker, she instead scours each town she moves into for a recipe to add to her beloved cookbook. But everything changes when she buys a special ingredient from a local shop. The mysterious seasoning brings her baked goods to life, turning the loaves of bread into living cat loaves. Unfortunately, one of the breads, the dreaded cinnamon raisin, turns rotten. He rallies the other bread cats, enlisting their help for the evil scheme he's cooking up. Now Charlie must team up with her new friend Brett and her loaf banana bread to take down the confectionery kittens she's unleashed, all while discovering that communities like recipes are more than the sum of their parts. This is a story about literal cat loaves. Of course it's the cinnamon raisin bread that turns evil. Fuck that stuff. Just make it just cinnamon or I, just raisin. Don't. I think cinnamon raisin like goes cinnamon together raisin just bread. fine. But, you know. Okay, I'll, I'll leave uh, No, I can. Uh, if something had to be evil, I could see the union of cinnamon and raisin. Let me describe the art for, for the audio listeners. This is cats made of bread. This is bread made of cats. It's cartoony. It's colorful. Let's see. I would say that the facial expressions are a cross between uh, some Toriyama and some One. Oh, I see it. Yeah. 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 It made uh, One Punch Man. And uh, what's that? What's the other one he did? Mob Psycho. Yeah. Like, just I'm looking at these two characters. Each of them is exemplified by one or the other. It's like, uh, the settings, like, they do a lot of, like, that, that, that trick that I love because I don't like drawing, uh, a lot of scenery where they'll do an establishing shot, they'll do some, a little bit of, like, stuff on the table, and then mainly focus on the characters talking. 
and so it's really character driven in in like in the narrative. So it's it, you know we have like a thing happens and then the characters all talk about it, and then there's a setting or a close up of an item and the characters all talk about it. I really like that that like character driven st- style, and uh, and so it's like it's the people that carry the story forward, and there's just loaves that are made of cat. It is great. Uh, so where are we at with this? Up, 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 at the top. Okay. Uh, we were looking for 1500 and we're already at, at 2000 Totally made its goal. Still two weeks to go. So you can definitely get a copy of that. Okay. Next up is Incomplete by Chloe McGinn, also known as Pesky Chloe. Matt is 18 when he breaks his neck playing rugby at school. He's rushed to the hospital where the rest of his team encounter Pip. Uh, a pupil from a rival team they played a rugby match against uh, a year before. Pip is a hospital volunteer who takes it upon himself to visit Matt while he recovers in the hospital. As time goes on, he realizes his feelings for Matt are romantic. So this is a love story about being about both being queer or and uh, and being disabled and and dealing with injury and and recovery. It's got kind of like a lot of things going on and uh chloe actually mentions in the description later on that it's like it's it is a queer romance but it's not really like focusing on being queer it's focusing on the characters and their and their you know their reality and and life life going on despite like a bunch of things you know a bunch of headwinds i would say um the art i would say it's poster-esque uh, a lot of like really like straight up li- like really uniform lines. Uh, it kind of gives me like a New Yorker style, uh, and then so so it's uniform line work, and then kind of like either a solid color or a pattern fill to uh, to, to to fill in like the details for it. Uh, kind of like in some of these, I kind of get like especially in the covers, I'm getting like a pop art portrait sort of feel. Um, for like it isn't. Lichtenstein, but it made me think of Lichtenstein when I was looking at it for some reason. I don't know. Uh, and it's like, it's really calm. It's really grounded. It it just feels like a depiction of a real life. Um, Not looking for very much. Uh, let's see. Translated from British Pounds. Uh, we're looking for uh, $761. Uh, we've made $260 so far. So it uh, looks like it just started. Still got like a, like a full 29 days to go. Uh, but yeah, that's not a really high goal to reach. So I think they can make that pretty easily. They're probably just trying to get it like, you know, just enough to get it printed. And this is the fourth volume of this. So, um, let me take a quick look here. Yep. Yep. They've got ketchup bundles bundles. So if you want to just get the whole series, you can, there's totally backer tiers for that. And then finally, what is, Okay. All right. All right. If you have a superhero that can literally do anything, you guys, what what would you pit that superhero against? Mhm. God. Their feelings? That's good too. Um this one gets pit against themselves. So, <laughs> this is Quinfinity by Nick Flair. Um Nick Flair is a parent, and this is very much influenced by uh, by their kid. But I'm going to uh, read the description here. Once upon a time, there was a girl who could turn into any superhero with any superpower she could think of. But what happens if those powers are stolen? 
Enter Scribble Scrabble, a villain unintentionally created by Quinn herself. His plan is to steal Quinn's powers and change and reshape the very world around her into his ver his own image. We'll see Quinfinity heroes like Quinja, Starfish, and Big Girl as she takes on her newest foe. That's horrifying. <laughs> it's very much meant for kids and families, but that's a scary scenario to be in. Um, I love, like, it feels like the story is about grounded omnipotence versus unhinged omnipotence. Uh, the, the, the art is, like, really clean, really indie webcomic style, uh, that, that sort of, like, uh, we were talking earlier in the episode about, like, the, you know, the, the simple, simple shapes that just tell the whole story. Uh, it's like, yeah, it tells big stories with simple shapes. Uh, really cool, neat trick that, like, I've seen before and never really put together, uh, is I'm looking at this panel right here where, uh, Quinn is about, is, is in normal little girl form. She's about to dive off a diving board, and, like, the diving board and the character are both, like, inked, like, their outlines are inked in black, but the background is not. And so, you know, it's just, it's colored shapes, but by removing that that ink layer in the background, it just really it does a really cool effect to make like here's foreground, here's background. I I I've, I've never really thought about that trick before, even though I've seen it before. That's what I do in my comic. I've totally not noticed. <laughs> my backgrounds are very rarely lined. That's such a good idea. Definitely's got that uh, that Calvin and Hobbes esque like division between child world and adult world, and so we you know like. This is a regular little girl in the regular world, and the superhero-y things are, like, Hobbes-esque in that, like, they are her adventures in her in her life, right? But she comes back to reality afterwards. And then we introduce to the Scribble character, which was, like, lines drawn on the wall when she was, like, like you know, much, much smaller. Um, and that turns into the supervillain who's like, no, you could do whatever. I'm going to do whatever. It's a super cool idea. <sighs> I like, I love this one page where uh, Quinn dives into the pool and there's a shark and the shark looks scary and all that, but he's really not going to eat her. He's just saying chomp chomp because that's what he says. And he just wants to play and swim around and have a race. And he's just like, oh, where are you going? He just says chomp because all he says is chomp. He's not a bad guy. He's just a shark and he chomps. He's like the baby shark sharks in my daughter's cartoons. A little bit of baby shark. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're looking for 2K, and we're at 545 so far. So, again, really early. Only 12 backers need some love, need some attention. Uh, and, I just, like, and uh, yeah, it's the first one. So brand new, brand new idea, brand new concept, really cool art. Really, they, they, they know what they're doing. They just need to print it and make it happen. So uh, I would love to see that happen. Um... And I've got one more to talk about. There's this one called Witch yeah, of Dezena. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's by <laughs> Yes. It's uh it's by it's by Kimmy. It's this webcomic. Uh the Avian Empire is thrown into chaos when their goddess vanishes in the night in the midst of the accusation of sabotage and conspiracy. One civil servant, Tabor Dineshre, finds himself tasked with locating the missing deity. The job already looks impossible when a witch crosses his path. Eleanor Connolly is a mysterious young witch who hails from the bland suburbs of Vancouver, Washington. She could be the key uh to unraveling their goddess's disappearance, uh, if they can get her to cooperate. See, that's the better version of my pitch. 
<laughs> I, since we are all very familiar with this con uh, comic, I do like the idea of. I, point is, I also want to give my pitch, and that is, a bureaucrat has to deal with the fact that the magical infrastructure of his society has suddenly disappeared, and the job to fix it is thrown on him. Uh, I, I, my, my pitch for it is, uh, in a world that has industrialized its magic system. An adventuring party needs to be put together to find a missing goddess, but because it's the modern era, the adventuring party is made out of cops, bureaucrats, college students, and one smarmy witch. <laughs> As you can, yeah, this is our friend's comic, and we, we love it a lot. It's Okay, so Kimmy has made her goal. Uh, we got two weeks to go. And um and we want some stretch goals and and some big success because hey did hey, I you're cool did you're I our friend you're the my best first stretch goal oh my god you Sorry, might have I, you went up by yeah, hundred like at, today you're at you're at one thousand two hundred ninety seven <laughs> past your one thousand dollar goal with fourteen days to go stretch goals yeah, yeah so you that's made the first it one. you were only the second yeah. one okay and we got some goddess sta- yes. goddess stickers scroll down sorry there's more. Uh, yep. more. Okay, at 12.50. Yeah, you uh, made that one. Oh, uh, you've not made 1,400 yet. Okay. You got 12.50. Character yes, family photos yes. that you were uh, talking about yes. doing. Okay. Cool, cool, Sorry, cool, cool, I feel cool, like cool, cool, cool. mildly stupid because every time I check the Kickstarter, it's like, wait, where did this money come from? I just, I, I don't understand. I haven't even posted about it on social media. And I'm like, where are the backers coming from? <laughs> Alright, we're at we're at uh we're we're like three dollars away from thirteen hundred of a of a one thousand dollar goal. Thirty four backers in fourteen days to go. Uh, c- congratulations, Kimmy, on on making it. Let's get like more quick more yes. more backer goals. This is awesome. Yep, I'm, I'm glad it's doing well. I'm glad that I hit the family photos one because I really wanted to put that in this book. So here's the thing. <laughs> like, I just think it would be really interesting, like flavor to add to the back of the book. Like, hey here's our main characters and people are probably like who are these schmucks and it's like well you'll see them in the book but also let me embarrass you with their baby photos let me embarrass (laughs) them with their baby photos yeah all right uh let's let's wrap up real quick hey kyle if people want to find links to these where do they find them there will be links on the show notes as well as on your website which is jared.art just click on uh, jared's crowdfunded comic shop we find links to these and all the comics that i've talked about on the show Uh, I want to do a book review. I'm ready for that. Okay, hey, hey guys, I read a comic book. Where are they? Where did they go? I had them. Here we go. I got it. Okay. Hey guys, I read a comic book. Uh, this is, this is Zany Writers by, uh, Julie Okahara. Um, we know Julie. Julie is, uh, Julie 22. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the streamer that we, we have, we have frequently raided into, uh, she is super cool and we've met her at, uh, at a couple of local events and, and cons and stuff. Um, Julie is a remarkably prolific, uh, artist. Uh, I think, uh, she primarily works in watercolor and just creates stuff like nonstop. And this, uh, this little, this little short comic, Zany Writers, was was a uh, Inktober project, and so it is thirty-one illustrations of these sort of like whimsical, spooky, cute characters, like getting involved in some kind of arts and crafts. Like I'm looking at this, uh, this character with yellow green hair, uh, Kyle-esque empty eyes. Uh, 
sawing lolly like giant lollipops <laughs> in half next to a giant pumpkin. Um, I don't know why Mickey Mouse, the silhouette of Mickey Mouse in a cape with a hole in his chest, showed up at their door. Um, but each of them, it was uh, 2016's Inktober. It's you can see it on each each page. Is is that's what they're working on. Um, there's no words. It's all just illustrations that are slowly telling these these short vignette stories. I'm looking at the second one with like this uh, this young girl again with the with the empty spooky eyes, uh, kind of like red purple hair and a and a blue dress, and she's looking at a a cat in a basket and a couple of pots and pans. So we we get a short vignette of these characters all like creating some sort of like arts and crafts project around uh, based on what's around them spiders or pumpkins or or um or pots and pans and uh and they all visit the same merchant who's just got this this little little shop in the woods um after all of the vignettes at the very end the last illustration ties them all together and uh I would I would leave it to you to go and, and read it for yourself to see like what the actual what the actual point was but they're all they're all going somewhere and and the kind of like the punchline of the story just pulls it all together in, into a single narrative uh just adorable spooky cute uh watercolors uh by by Julie uh Okahara and um and you can get it at Julie's website, which is uh, julieokahara.com slash shop. Or you can go and uh, and watch Julie uh, do uh, streams in in a world made of these these style uh, watercolors called uh, called Doodle Doodle Town uh, at her uh, at her Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Julie22. That is with three E's. So J U L I E E E two two, uh, she is a super cool lady, a super prolific artist, really good at that kind of like, kind of melancholy but more cute, uh, style of art. And and Zany Riders is just one of the things that she's created. She's awesome. That's my comic for this week. I'm actually surprised at how much progress I've been able to make on this page during the stream. I, I'm glad I was able to finish that that Tabor drawing. I was kind of blocked on it for a while for some uh, reason. It hey, is... Kyle, did you did you see the finished one that I made? Uh, I had to touch the colors up digitally. I kind of fell out of love with Copics doing that. It's just they were like I kept being like I don't have exactly the color I need, and I don't have money for more. And like and like just getting the 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 bleed I thought I had a control of the bleed and like every time it just bled a little bit more than I wanted it to and I'm like all right I've had my fun I think like they are fun and I do like them but just I I think I'm going to like next next color project I do I think I'm going to do I'm going to do yeah, digital color I I had done uh Copics at one point when I was like uh like 17 18 I think I'm trying to remember how this fit in with my artistic journey because I know that when I was like 15 or 16, I was like, mom, I need a tablet. I need a tablet and I need Photoshop. And I got those things and God, this was so adorable. My first digital drawing, it was a scan of a sketch I had done of my OC from Gaia Online. Um, and I thought she was so cool. And I was like, I'm going to shade her in Photoshop. 
And the thing is, like, the way I had drawn her, her clothing was kind of, like, just, you know, a part of her body. Like, how do I describe this? Like, everything was just cylinders with her. Like, there wasn't any, like, real, like, wrinkles or anything. And so I, I go and I show my friend and I say, watch this. And I lasso tool the main body and I take an airbrush and I set it to black and I just airbrush the sides of her body. And I'm like, look at that. It's instantly three dimensional. And my, fr and my friend says, I don't think this is how you're supposed to do it. And I'm like, yes, it is. I'm smart. I took an art class. I know. <laughs> Uh, so this this bag right here marked dry. I'm showing off a Ziploc bag with an index card, and it's just the word dry. Uh, how many are in here? Uh, three, six, nine, twelve, thirteen, fourteen that have just fucking died on me. And it's and every it's always the same story, which is that like I touch it and the cap just won't click. It won't like one of the one of the two caps just isn't clicking anymore. And and it's like nope, it's just worn out. Like the plastic just won't click into place. And I go and draw with it, and the copic is just completely dry forever. Mad. I'm like the cat that has the the the, the buttons that he presses the button that says mad, and just like, takes his pawn, just goes mad. That's me about copics. I love them. I hate them. I have never once been able to afford copics to the point where somehow getting a four hundred dollar tablet. And an art program continue to be cheaper than paying, what, mm -hmm. $200 for some of the copics I needed that would mm -hmm. last for a few months? It's like, so here's the thing. I like the idea of copics or copics. Sorry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it wrong or whatever, but nobody knows. I don't, I don't know. I don't care. I'm <laughs> mad. Yeah. I'm mad so right now. So it was I don't like, care. I was doing the digital art thing for a while and I don't know why I suddenly became interested in Copics. I think it's because, like, even though I'm, like, you know, 90% digital as an artist, there is, like, this siren song to working in traditional, because I like the idea of producing a physical result, like, look, it's a thing, and it's the only copy of it, and it has some intrinsic value to it, because I made it, and it's physical in my hands, and I can, yeah. And I think I liked... It was probably watching people at artist alleys like do commissions and they would just whip out their markers and they were skilled with it. And so they would produce these like really finished looking kind of professional illustrations like just there on the spot. And I was like, whoa, it was actually kind of funny because um, this was back at SakuraCon like 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> going back in time in the way back machine that is my brain. Yes. Um, and uh, I went with one of my friends and, you know, she wore, um, honestly, I think she was wearing a, a Chiangsang, which is that Chinese dress, you know. Um, and she had, a, you know, one of those wooden swords that she bought. And the artist alley was super tiny back then. And we didn't even understand what it was. It was just, it was on the sky bridge. It was literally on the sky bridge. And it was just a bunch of artists and they didn't even have like the usual setup that you would have expected from anime conventions where the people would have the PBC pipes that they would hang all their prints from nowadays. They didn't even have that. It was just like tables with artists. And I think that they did have some of their art like hanging up on like, um, 
those wireframes behind them. But like, I didn't understand what this thing even was. I'm just like, oh, wow, look at all the pretty artwork. And my friend walks up to a lady and is like, can I pay you to draw me? And the lady's like, sure, this much. And it was actually really cheap. It was like 20 bucks or something. <laughs> and she goes, here you go. And so she just, I, I don't remember if she took a picture of her, but she's like, all right, come back in an hour and it'll be done. And we come back and it looked really good, at least to my, my 15 year old brain. I'm just like, oh my God, she just took you and she turned you into an anime character and you look so pretty in the, yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was done with uh, Copics, and so I probably had that impression on me of like, oh, you know, you don't even have to boot up the, the fancy digital thing, you can just use markers. And I think part of what it was is like, when I was a kid, I used a lot of markers, right? But they were just the Crayola markers, you know, or Rose Art or some shit like that. And, um... Yeah, yeah, and there were always streaks, there was always the overlap, and it never really turned out like well and so finding out that there were like proper professional markers that would actually turn out the way you wanted them to supposedly was like really alluring and um yeah I, I did a lot of illustrations with Copics but then I was realizing like I couldn't really blend the colors and so I was limited to buy whatever you know colors you could buy and I had some colors I used a lot, and I went through them quite a bit. And then it was like, do I buy refills, or do I just buy a new marker? And, uh, yeah, I, I think that I generally kept the bleed under control, but sometimes I would try to blend colors, and it wouldn't turn out well. Or sometimes I would, like try to darken something like oh I need to make a shadow on the skin here and either I used another skin tone or I used a blue marker and it just came out looking weird it's like oh that didn't turn out correct and I'm sure that this is something that people like can figure out with lots of practice because I got a whole like booklet a whole like magazine of like how to use Copic markers with this set that I got and there was some really stunning artwork on it where you might have assumed it was digital just looking at it um sorry maybe that's a dumb thing to say because I know that digital is made to emulate traditional but you know <laughs> life you know I would say like less so because digital kind of just became like, you know you know we've we've talked about this a bunch in the in the in the comic club where it's just like no it's just it's just it, a it different does. tool guess, and it's got a sorry, different I guess effect. what I'm trying to say is that like when they first made digital art tools they tried to get them to mimic traditional art tools and so it's like a it's kind of funny for me to say wow this traditional art looks so good it could be digital cuz it's like well I mean, originally, the bar for quality was traditional art. And so you might look at digital art and say, wow, this is so good, it could be traditional. So it's like, life imitates art, imitates art, imitates art. So, <laughs> but... Well, like I said, I've always been interested in, co or I guess not always, but I used to be very interested in Copic art, but could never afford it. Because uh, I seen manga artists do that for their color spreads. Um, and similarly, I'd also seen them use colored pencils in a way I really liked, but I just, I feel like I never really had, like, I could never really figure out how to make colored pencils do the thing that I see manga authors do. I just never could get the hang of it. I have a vendetta against colored pencils. Oh, boy. 
Also, to clarify, my vendetta is against the regular colored pencils I used as a child. It's like... All so, the so two things. One, time. it's really hard to sharpen like, them. The they're light made so of, because it's so of, soft. Like, they're made of brit brutality? It's like they're made Sorry, of crayons. I'm imagining, I'm imagining Mortal Kombat. You are so brittle. Brutality. And that no, that actually would describe like a lot of those animations right now. Uh, yeah. And and the other thing was actually that well, I don't know how I would feel about this now, but when I was a kid, I always wanted my colors to be kind of deep, dark, saturated. And so I had to press really hard with those colored pencils, and my wrist would hurt, my fingers would hurt, like, my muscles would cramp up. Because I would do, like, these full, like, eight and a half by eleven page illustrations for my elementary school, like, art projects and stuff. And I would draw these whole, like, like, scenic shots of like here's a mountain covered in evergreen trees and i would just like mow through that green colored pencil right and um i just really didn't like how it looked when i was lightly shading with the colored pencil because i think part of it is that i would see the texture and i didn't like the texture for uh, filling and then it in and then you're the using was it's very, like, like that is being additive to like whatever paper and you're using which is in most cases white Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it comes off, you know, very light colored and I kind of, I, I don't know, I just didn't like the texture that it came out with. And so I would just press really hard on the colored pencils. And um, I just remember thinking that it's like for filling in large blocks of color, it sucks. You know, it just sucked for what how I was using it. And maybe like, um, sorry, I was just reading chat. Um, and maybe, like, if I approached it again as an adult and I was more patient with it and I, like, actually read maybe tutorials. Like, God, can you imagine tutorials on colored pencils? Learning things they probably exist. I'm sure they I'm do. I'm sure they do. Shiny um, Zubats already has a tip for avoiding them breaking in the sharpener. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's like... I don't know, like, I was about to say, I don't feel like I see a lot of artists online posting art with colored pencils. There's one that I know of, and I actually see them running into the same problem that I hit with Copic markers, which is that they would try to blend colors and it comes out weird. Which is a shame. But then again, you know, it could be that there's other artists out there that are doing it really well and it's so good I can't even tell. Because, um... That's actually happened before with lettering for comics. Um, there's some really common advice that goes around. Oh, hold on. Sorry, this is going to be like a segue. Do you guys uh, have like anything else you need to say about <laughs> colored pencils? Um, if not, forever hold your peace. I'm thinking about like like what I do see other people doing online because I think there are like the the techniques and the tools that are the most popular and I think like a lot of my Twitch friends are primarily digital artists a lot of a lot of Krita and a lot of um uh Clip Studio um and and I think like that the aesthetic of those tools is really well defined and it's really uh like like just known and recognized and appreciated right and then like other media 
I think like it's almost like like fighting game tiers where it's it's got to work a little harder to get noticed because everyone like what what the what the actual favorite is is kind of like 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 uh overpowered please nerf. Um and so like when when traditional media tends to like like get lit up in in the social medias uh it's it's usually because someone is just like incredible at craft. Now, that's like I I think I'm pretty good at craft, but not immaculate, you know. So, but but like to my credit, you know, when I'm sharing art and you know on Twitch when we raid someone or what have you, like just the fact that I'm doing physical art itself makes people go like, oh fucking wow, oh shit, <laughs> I couldn't live without Control Z, right? And so like even though there's like I you know I I think of it in headwinds and tailwinds where. On the one hand, it's like, yeah, there's certainly the 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 preferred art style, the 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 single the lowest common denominator, like what everyone likes, right? But there's also like, oh shit, you put the work in. That's cool. You know? And so there's there's pros and cons to all of them. And and you know, at the end of the day, use the tool that's gonna fucking work for you. <clears throat> but yeah, that's that's what I add on my mind. Um also, keep in mind, we're getting pretty late, so. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Um, so, yeah, what I was going to say about lettering was that there's often this advice that goes around when, I mean, I was probably much more uh, familiar with it back when I was, like, really plugged into comics Twitter, where you'll have a comic artist that goes on this big thread about lettering, and sometimes it gets confusing because the person will say, you must use hand-drawn speech bubbles. And then I'm like, what does that mean exactly? Because that could mean so many different things. And I think typically what they are against is using the preset like oval tool, like in Clip Studio to make a speech bubble. And I think, okay, yeah, that's fair. Because it's actually kind of hard to fit your text inside of that without, like, clipping the corners of your text. Because, you know, text doesn't easily fit inside a perfect oval shape. And we were talking about that at one point, And one of my artist friends was like, oh, well, I hope my comic pages are okay. And I was like, no, yours are fine. You hand draw your bubbles, right? And she goes, no, I use the tool. And I go, wait, really? Because, like, I don't remember having like any problems with your speech bubbles at all and i went and i checked out her comic and i was like oh yeah these are all drawn with the oval tool but like use, she was very mindful of making correctly. sure yeah. that uh, the text cause, wasn't because mine uh, the are uh, i do my lettering in photoshop and i uh i basically use um uh rounded rectangles for most of the most of the tools or most of most of the, the situations and you know other shapes as, uh, accordingly but um you know, it's it's uh, the main thing for me isn't really about like the shape of the bubble so much as exactly what you just said, Kimmy, which is that like just make sure there is the the, the equal white space between the letters and the edge of the bubble, and you should be fine. I, uh, you know what? Hey, uh, hey, Kyle. Yes. You're cool. Hey, Kimmy. You're cool. You're cool too, Jer. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and. You know what? Hey, if you want to, if you want to, like, like draw something, draw it. You probably won't die. 